0: Seriously, hey, happy Father's Day. Thank you, Kristen. I appreciate it. Uh, no, seriously, it's Father's Day. And um, I, I read this thing. It was funny. It was a joke, um, but it's entirely true. And I'm just going to set it up for today. Uh, you know, Mother's Day, it's always like, Bongs, you're so appreciative. We're so appreciative of you. We love you so much. And then on church, on Father's Day, it's like hellfire and brimstone. Uh, It is. So, but I I also want to preface this with dads. Your role in the home is so important and is so valuable. I don't know if you've seen stats on a a fatherless home and the effect that it has on the wife and the kids or on, I guess, the ex or however you want to say it. But the the effect that a fatherless home has on kids is absolutely terrible. And and you see the the crime rate, you see all these things. And it's like, well, if there was a dad in the picture who provide training, to provide discipline, to provide life experience. It teaches so much to the kids. So dads, I want you to know today that your role is so, so important to the home. And we here at Change Life Church love you dads. We pray for you guys all the time. We pray in our staff meetings. Dads, you are so important to the role and the health of your home. So dads, this Father's Day, before I cut into this, we love you, okay? We love you dads. Give, give every dad a round of applause real quick. Absolutely. Uh, I have two quick things I need to cover before I get started. Uh, first off is just, we're looking for drivers for summer camps. So if a if, uh, uh, youth camp or kids camp, if either of those dates work for you, we're looking for a group to go up, to drop off, come home. You don't have to stay there. And then a group to go back up and pick up for summer uh, camp for youth and for kids. So there's a sign-up sheet in the back. The details are back there. Mary's back there waving her hand. So if you are available, uh, just go check the dates and see if it works for you. We could use the help to make sure kids get there safely. Uh, So as long as you don't drive like Vin Diesel in Fast and Furious, you are a great candidate. Um, No, I'm just kidding. No, right? I drive like that. Oh, I'm not in my big Bronco. I'm just kidding. I don't do that in (laughs) CUNA. 95 right here? No, I don't do that. No, Uh, I'm just kidding. I really don't. Uh, The last thing is just our tithes and offerings. I just want to say thank you in our faith, in your faithfulness to giving to God's kingdom. Uh, We're seeing God do great things here in our church. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit in my sermon today, Uh, but however it is that you give, I know we give digitally. We don't pass the buckets anymore. Uh, So by giving online or texting to give or sending a check or however it is that you do it, dropping it off, Just know this, that we at Change Life Church are so appreciative that you've partnered with us to say, yes, I want to see what God would do, and I'm going to walk in obedience to him. Um, So thank you so much for your faithful giving to God's kingdom as we give this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, So without further ado, let's get into this. I said, like I said, I'm flying solo today. So you you got me for announcements and the sermon. So uh, if the sermon is bad, I apologize because I know the announcements were terrible. So I'm just kidding. Uh, Oh, no one. Okay, I guess the announcements were terrible. Awesome. Great. We're off to a great start, guys. Uh, No, hey, uh, this morning I just want to talk about and tie together uh, what happened at Jericho with Mother's Day. So I know uh, Chris spoke on the Battle of Jericho and what happened there. And uh, today, I want to talk about what happened right after that. Kind of pair Mother's Day and Father's Day together as, as one complete package. You see, Mother's Day is always about like, you know, the walls are coming down. And then we're going to talk today about the sin of Achan. Um, and it's confrontational. It just is. And so I'm going to do my best to navigate through this. I don't mean to uh, slap you on the wrist, but if you do put your toes out there, I'll gladly step on them. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, no. Okay. But no, I, 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 my, my text today, guys, I'm just telling you right now, it is confrontational. It is. It's in your face, and I'm gonna deliver it as sweetly as I can, but as truthfully as I have to. Um, so that's where I stand on this topic today. So without further ado, let's get into it. Let me start by just telling the story. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we went camping. Um, you, I think most of you know that. We, I think I've already talked about that. But before that, like two weeks prior, we did like a uh, preliminary camping trip. Like we wanted to make sure like, you know, we go out there, we unpack, we set up, make sure we have everything we with uh, Becky and Brandon. And they took their cool trailer out there. And I had like a stick with a tarp on it, right? And, <laughs> and you think I'm kidding. And so we we's like set up, right? And they were there as like our safety net as like, just in case you don't have anything, we have this beautiful mansion that went on wheels, right? And it's like, huh great. Like way to make me feel insecure, right? I'm just kidding. I I love you guys so much. And uh, anyway, so we went out and we just wanted to make sure that we have everything we need. And uh, if you in this room are a husband, you can relate with what I'm about to say. Uh, When you show up to the campsite, the wife just tells you where to put it all, right? And you are kind of just like obedient, right? Because if you're not, good luck. Have a great championship, right? And so we, we show up to the site and Chris is like, this is where I want the tent. And I'm like, uh, oh, babe, that, this is probably is not the best spot. I could probably think of like 10 other good spots around here. She's like, Stevie, this is the spot. I'm like, sweetheart, I love you with all of my heart. I think if we just position the tent over here, no, no, she was not having it. Okay. This is not to knock her what she wants. She gets in my household. Okay. Even on father's day. And so I'm sitting there and I said, okay, fine, I'll do it. Right. The, the reason I didn't want to put the tent there is because it was uneven ground and, you guys know that when you put a tent on uneven ground, it's just, it's not good, right? Let me explain. We go to bed that night, we put our air mattress, you know, set it up, and it's all there, and it's like, wow, it looks so comfy, I'd rather go for the trailer, but whatever, okay, this is great, right? And so, <clears throat> Brandon and Becky, they had their heater turned on, it was like 23 degrees, right? It was wonderful, and they were, they were like cooking in their trailer, they were like, it's hot, and I'm like, shut up, right? So, <clears throat> we got there, little, my little tarper set up, and I'm sitting there, and I, I get in bed that night, and uh, I lay down, and I'm like, what in the world's going on? Like, I'm like, okay, come on, come on, Stevie, just go to sleep, go to sleep. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, what is going on? I cannot get comfortable. And so what I did is I rolled over on the furthest side of the uh, the, uh, the the not the air mattress, thinking, hey, I get caught between an air mattress and the tent, I won't roll because we're on a stupid hill. Like I said, not to do. And so I positioned myself like way almost off the, uh, the air mattress, and sure enough, and I'm like, oh my, I can't do this. All night long, I tossed and turned. I could not get any sleep because I had a very bad foundation under my tent, under my mattress, and it made it terrible. So the next night, I was thinking, hey, if we just take the, the mattress and turn it, then it's more like a slide more than like a roll, right? Like... I'd rather at least have that, like zoom, you zip out and go get coffee in the morning. It was still terrible, right? It was it was just a nuisance because now our, our mattress is sideways and it's taking up like the entire inside of the tent. It's like, dude, now it's just uncomfortable. It's just a huge nuisance because we put the tent on top of really a mound that... We shouldn't have put it there, but we did because my wife is perfect and she's never wrong, right? And she still wasn't wrong. We still put the tent where it was because it's what she wanted and she was right to want it there, right? And so you see that? What a save. Okay, so we had this and I got a terrible, two terrible nights of sleep. The first night was definitely worse than the second, but either way, I was just uncomfortable because of what was under my tent. My title of today's message is, What's Under Your Tent? And so we've been walking through the book of Joshua uh, on this faithful series, and today, we're, like I said, we're going we're gonna to tie Mother's Day and Father's Day together, looking at Jericho and the wonderful victory that Israel experienced, and then what happened the next few days, on how that great victory was lost because one man decided to do something that was totally uncalled for. And so we're going to dive into that today. We're going to look at it. It's in the, uh, the book of Joshua again, chapter 7. Um, but before I, before I get there, I need to set it up and, and preface a couple of things. You see, Jericho, the walls came tumbling down, and God told Israel, he said, hey, look, when you go into Jericho after the battle is won and you know the, the walls come crashing down, I want you guys to go in the city and take all the silver, take all the gold, take anything that looks like treasure, and put it inside of the Israeli treasury and hide it there, give it to the priests to watch over. He says this. He put a ban on it. He said, nobody is to take anything under the ban. You are. To, it is not for anybody to take. This is only for you to put into the treasury. And I, I started thinking as I was preparing for uh, today and going through it, I, I wondered why did God not want his people to... I like saying this word because it makes me think I'm a pirate. Uh, take the plunder from the city, right? Like, why, why? God, like, your people have been suffering for 40 years in the desert. And they get Jericho. The walls come tumbling down like Humpty Dumpty. And, man, it is awesome. It's incredible. And God says, nothing from the city can be taken as your own. Turn it all into the treasury and store it there. And the priests will watch over it, but nobody's take anything from the, tr- from the treasure of the city and as their own and put it in their house. And I was like, well, why would God want that? Like, God, don't you want to bless your people? Like they've walked in obedience to you for 40 years, not going to what you promised. Like, aren't you a good God? And you want your people to be blessed and experience? I think there's a couple reasons why God didn't want them to take anything from the city. First off, I think it's because the battle was not won by sword. Not a single sword was unsheathed that day to kill someone from Jericho. God took care of it all. And so for Israel to go in there and take the plunder for themselves and take the treasure for themselves, it's almost as if to say, I earned this. It belongs to me. Because of what I did, I I can now take what belonged to them. And that's not what happened. And so God is saying, no, I'm actually the one who did the work. You just marched around the city. And God is saying, I'm the one who took care of it. The other thing uh, that I think is important to notice here is that God is reminding them of the first fruit. The first thing that come in, see, they're about to go in and they're gonna overthrow 31 cities to gain the promised land. God is saying, just this first one, it belongs to me. All, all the, the gold, all the silver, everything in there, it comes to me. It goes to the treasury, the priests watch over. It's not for anybody else. It's because of the tithe, I think. I think God is teaching them, no, you're gonna walk in obedience to the tithe. That first in goes to me. The first thing you do goes to me. And I know I'm going to talk about money on Father's Day, and I don't mean to do that, but it's in the text. And so we're going to go there for a quick second and talk about it. Because the tithe is an act of obedience to God. It's not just that we're giving money. It's that we're walking in obedience. And I've been a pastor now for over 10 years, and I've heard some pretty crazy things on uh, why people say they don't give in the tithes and then giving the offerings there's a few of the reasons that I've heard and you've probably heard these before too uh, they're, they're common uh, but they say this things like this I don't trust the church to handle my money correctly I've totally heard that a few times like, uh, many times we'd be like you know I really don't want to give to the church because you know, I just don't think they're going to handle it correctly right uh, to refute that I just say well it has nothing to do your obedience has nothing to do with someone else's obedience that, that's, that's your obedience right if I have my two kids and one kid is obedient, and one kid's disobedient, it doesn't make them both right because one was obedient. No, it makes one obedient and one disobedient. Your your responsibility is your own obedience. Uh, another thing I've heard before is this one makes me laugh. I'll tithe when I make more money. This one makes me laugh because if you're not faithful in the little, you will not be faithful when it's more because that check amount just goes up. And you, you go ah, right, and you start thinking, oh, maybe I'll give you know this much instead of this much. No, 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 no. The tithe is a 10th. It is a portion of that. It is 10%. And giving at $100 or giving at $1,000, the percentage doesn't change. Just the amount does. And when it's more zeros, it's a little more hesitation. I'll just be honest with you this morning. The other thing I've heard people say is the church doesn't really need more money, so why would I tithe? They're doing just fine. Their budget is in order. They've got money in the bank. They've got some savings there. They're about to go do a building project. And we start thinking, like, oh, no, it's okay. Like, the church is doing just fine. It's funny because all of those reasons have no bearing on God's agreement for us to be disobedient. Zero agreement. Obedience is obedience, and disobedience is disobedience. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's what it is. And and you sit there, and and right now you might be thinking, man, there he is. He's talking about money. Yes, Jesus did, too, actually a whole lot, if you look at the Gospels, what Jesus did and, and if we really want to be biblical about the tithes and the offerings, let's go there since we're already there. In the times of the Bible, people would actually walk up in front of everybody, okay, not giving online or through a texting to give and nobody can see, right? But they would walk up in front of everyone in church, and they'd sit there, and they would drop their money in the bucket. And the teachers, Jesus and the disciples, had a conversation one time in front of people about how much they were giving, the lady walked up, the widow, and she gave a mite, which is like a hundredth of a penny. It was like nothing. You might as well just walk up and put a handful of dirt in the, in the jar. That's basically what it was. And Jesus, he can't whisper. He's got 12 people to talk to. He can't be like, did you see that? No, he's got to talk to him. Did you guys see how much she gave? She just gave more than everybody else in this room. In front of everybody, Jesus is having this conversation. And then, really looking at the New Testament, and after Jesus died and rose again and went to heaven in the book of Acts, we see that people would walk up to give their offering and they would announce how much they're giving. So, if, so next week for tithes and offerings, we're going to walk up to the front and each of us are going to announce how much we're putting in the bucket. I'm just kidding. We're not doing that, right? People are like, get out of here now. This is not home church anymore. Not happening, right? No. So, if, if you want to be biblical about money, And you want your pastors to preach biblically about money. That's technically the way to do it. Is to announce how much you're giving. And Ananias and Sapphira, the example that we see in the New Testament, they lied. And God smote them with lightning, right? Like they died right there on the spot in church because they lied about it. So what I'm I'm getting at here is we're definitely not going to do that. Okay, that's not going to be a practice here at CLC. But what I am saying is that the Bible has a whole lot to say about money because the love of money is the cause of all evil. Not not, not money is the root of all evil. No, the love of money is the root of all evil. And Achan, the guy we're going to look at today, had a love for money and more. He had a little too much greed and covetousness within him that made him go, you know what? I want this. And so we're going to look at how this one man and what he decided to do today— how it affected the army of Israel, how it affected the country of Israel, really, and how it affected his entire household. Joshua chapter seven, verses one, we'll start it out. says this, but the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban, the things that which God told them not to take. For Achan, the son of Carmi from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban, and therefore the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. So the walls of Jericho come crashing down and any treasure that is found is supposed to go in the treasury. But God says, hey, someone has acted unfaithfully here. So what is it that, that caused Achan to act unfaithfully towards God? What did he take? He took a robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, and a 50 shekel in weight gold bar. That's about 11 and a quarter pounds. I don't know if you've ever held a gold bar before. Um, whoa. Talk about temptation. I was at a, in San Francisco when I was a kid, uh, and we were at Fisherman's Wharf, I think it was, and there was this uh, little place there and uh, at Pier 39, and they had a gold bar, and the guy took it out of the thing. I had to hold like a, a glove or a, a, not a, a little towel. Thank you, holler at your boy. And uh, I, I couldn't touch the gold with my hand. He, I, he made me hold it in the towel. And it was small, and it was heavy. And I, everything in me, my, my 11-year-old brain, I was like, run. Like... <laughs> take off, dude. He'll never catch you. He's slow. Like I just, oh my gosh, that bar was tempting. It was crazy. It's crazy what gold will make some people do just like it did with Aiken. And I don't know what's so special about the robe. He must've saw it and was like, you boys going to look good. Right? Like, I don't know if it was Armani or something. I, I don't know. Um, but apparently it was a nice robe. Okay. I don't wake up in the morning and go, wow, I can't wait to put my robe on because I don't own a robe. Like it to me is just, a robe, really? Like, that was fancy to you? Like, okay, cool. That's, that, yeah, Aiken, you do you, bro. That's, that's cool, right? And, and he wanted the robe. So he took the robe. He took the shekels of silver and the 11 and a quarter pounds gold bar. You see, what he stole, it doesn't really matter. He could have taken one shekel of silver, rubbed in mud, and he'd still be just as guilty as if he took all of this. It, it wasn't about what he took or the amount that he took. It's that he disobeyed. That's why the tithe is so important. It's not about how much. It's about obedience. Because without it, it is disobedience. And and Achan is there and he takes what he thinks is his. I I can almost see Achan in this moment, you know, uh, walking up to a rock that's higher than the other rocks and putting his foot up and putting his chest out, walking around Jericho. Like, yeah, I did this. I earned this. Jericho is defeated because of me. Like, I don't know what he was thinking But I I know that he was probably thinking, you know, for 40 years, I've been in the desert suffering. For 40 years, man, being obedient to God, that when that cloud moves, that fire moves, we follow it. And man, I've been obedient to him. So why do I not deserve this? It's just 200 shekels of silver. It's it's 11 pounds of gold. You know how many pounds of gold are on the earth? I didn't do the research. Go figure it out. I don't know. But it's crazy. There's probably a whole lot, right? 11 pounds is nothing comparatively. And I'm sure Achan is having this moment of, you know, I deserve this. I earned this. This city's defeated. And I am a soldier and I'm going to take my part in this. But the fact is that he didn't do anything to deserve it. He didn't earn it. His sword didn't come out of his sheath. said he thought it was really cool and was like, yeah, right? And put it back. He didn't stab anybody. He didn't kill anybody. He didn't do anything. Yet he has this moment of weakness where he almost thinks, you know, I've earned this. I deserve to take this gold, this silver, and this fancy robe back to my place. This is mine. And and I think all of us can kind of relate in some way. Have have you ever stolen something before? I I have. Uh, We're live streaming right now, so I'm not going to say what they are because I want to remain unapprehended, right? It's back when I was like 12. Okay, people, it's it's okay. Calm down. And so I I remember I, I uh, I was at Target. I was 12 years old. Uh, this is just when I got caught. This is when it stopped for me, okay? Because I learned my lesson this day. Uh, it was back when PlayStation 1 was like the thing to own. Like there's a PlayStation 5 now, okay? Just so you can keep up with kind of where we are. PlayStation 1, when that thing was out, I was like, bro, I'm calling my homies up, right? On the phone that was connected to the wall, right? <clears throat> I'm like, bro, get over here. I got a PlayStation 1. And they're like, no way, right? So my 12-year-old friends all come running over and we're like, this is so cool. We got a PlayStation. The graphics were terrible. Like, oh my gosh, like it was, it was bad. But I thought I was like bomb.com because I had the PS1, right? And so uh, we go to Target and if you've bought video games for your kids or grandkids, you know exactly what I'm gonna talk about here. All the games are behind the glass, right? And I got those stupid little keys, right? And when you want a game for your kid, right, and your kid is like super impatient and you're waiting there at Target for a game, it takes like half an hour for the employee to come over that has the key. What, Target, why is there only one key in every store for this? I, anyways, I'm going to get ahead of myself here. So what I'm, what I'm saying is Target did something really dumb this day. When 12-year-old Stevie walked in, they put all their PlayStation 1 games on this cardboard little stand outside of the glass and see, back in the day, what we thought was cool was FUBU pants, right? They were like this wide. And then what we thought was even cooler was to take a rubber bands and seal up the bottoms, right? So then it's like you know, like capris, but they're like Aladdin pants, right? And so uh, your boy was styling, okay? I didn't have a robe, but I had FUBU pants, okay? And uh, I remember I, I, I think I had like 17 belts on too because they were so big. But I walked up and I grabbed the games and I was just like... Shane. That's my brother. I was like, bro, look how dumb they are. And I'm like holding all these games. I'm just like throwing them down my pants. I had like 15 games down my pants. Okay. You couldn't tell. Cause FUBU. Right. And I'm walking through the store. I'm probably walking like this. Right. That's probably why I got caught. Right. And I go out to the front, the front, like sliding door, it goes to open. And I remember just like starting to run like, yes, I'm free. Right. Until I got caught right there. They called the cops. And, um, the cops show up, they're like, you're going to jail, kid. And I was like, no, please. Like, I'll be a criminal for life. My family won't come visit me and I'll have no friends. Like, I just, I started bawling. I'm crying and I just, ah. Oh. But the reason I tell you this is because of the emotion that I had and the feelings that I had enjoying that sin, yeah. be, being real. if it's Temptation is because it, it's fun, right? I had a desire for it and it made it fun knowing I'm breaking the law. And it was just like, oh, if you've stolen something, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The, the thrill that it kind of brought. I had no idea that I'd be threatened with prison. I thought I was going to... And I didn't know there was like a juvenile hall at the time. I thought I was going to be in there with like the gangbangers. I was like, they're going to kill me. Like, I'm going to get shanked. I'm dead. Like, 12-year-old Stevie. Dead. Up on arrival. Like, dude. Right? They take a plastic fork and like... And they got a spear. It's like, what in the world? How'd you do that? Right? But... I was terrified. And that event stopped the stealing in Stevie's life, okay? So it's been a long time. Stevie does not steal anymore, okay? I learned my lesson. Actually... So much so that until I was 18 years old, I couldn't walk around Target or Macy's. I had no idea that Target and Macy's were affiliated homies. And so until I was 18, I couldn't walk around those stores. And so my dad knew because my dad is who was with me when I got caught. But my mom didn't know. And they were, they were divorced. And so uh, my mom, growing up as a teenager, she'd be like, so uh, we're going to go to Target. And I'm like, oh, do we have to? Like They probably got like 12-year-old Stevie Nicks, a picture on every wall of Target. And so if I walked around Target or Macy's, I had to walk around with my parent. And when I moved to Minnesota at 17 for Bible college, day one, no joke, day one, they're like, we're going to Target. And I was like, I think I'll stay back guys. Like, I know I'm like 1500 miles away from home, but if they got 12 year old Stevie picture on the wall, they're coming for me. I'm good. Like even today when Chris is like, Hey, Steve, I want to go to Target. The memory and the fear of it. I just go, oh, I'm good. <laughs> Have fun at Target, babe. I'm just going to stay home. I want to remain unapprehended, right? Like... Just saying. But, anyways, I say all that because I understand what Achan was probably feeling. He was aching for a sin. He was aching for more. He wanted more. These days, a little play on words. That's funny. Okay? So, as we look at him, I start to look at my own sin. And as I look at Achan, I'm starting to compare myself to him. Hopefully, you're going to do the same here. Because how many times do you and I think along the lines of, I deserve this? And it gives us permission to sin. Well, you don't know what they did to me, so that's why I do this now. Because of someone's actions, you have to engage in sin. Because of a past decision that I made, I now have to engage in sin on a daily basis. No, I'm sorry, that's not true. That's not the life that I want, at least. I want a life free from sin. That's what I've been given through Jesus. Not that I earned or deserved anything, but that he gave it to me because of his mercy. That I can live free from that. You see, it's human nature to take and it's human nature to pay revenge. You see, you don't believe me. Just go in that nursery right now and dad's the Snickers bars that you're about to get. Give it to your kid. Open it up for him. Give it to him. And right when they're about to take the first bite, take it away from them, And watch the fury that comes in those 24-month-old eyes. Okay? They will come at you full force and you have a terrible Father's Day. Okay? And we do the same thing as adults, just hopefully it's not about candy bars anymore right but when we do the same thing we start to think you know i've i've earned this i deserve this i'm going to engage in this activity i'm going to dwell on this impure thought because you know what i've earned it and they did this to me so that's what i'm going to do now this is how i'm going to cope with the pain of what i have to deal with now i'm telling you right now sin is never a coping mechanism that's going to help you it will enslave you it will trap you it will be a candy bar that is poisonous to your soul But we take it, and we enjoy it just like Achan did. So getting back to this, Jericho's defeated. Achan has stolen things. The next city that they're going to go conquer, this is city number 2 of 31, is the city of Ai. And so Joshua, I'm going to summarize these next few verses up until verse 10. I'm going to summarize it for you. Joshua says, hey, I need to send out a couple spies into Ai, and I need you guys to tell me what it is because I need to put together a battle plan. And, and the soldiers that we're gonna send and what we're gonna do there and how we're going to attack the city. And these spies come back and they're like, did you see how easily we defeated Jericho, Joshua? Yeah, this town is nothing. You need to send like 2,000, 3,000 guys, man. We'll overthrow the city in a heartbeat. Don't even, Joshua, don't even worry about it. Start thinking about the next city. And so Joshua's like, hey, sounds good to me. So he assembles 3,000 men just to be sure and sends them to AI. What happens? is those men get utterly defeated. 36 Israeli soldiers are killed. Now, 36 may not sound like a lot, but I need you to understand something. No Israeli soldier has died yet. These are the first 36 Israeli soldiers to die. They haven't coped with this yet. They haven't learned what this is like yet. A real battle when when God isn't with you? 36 of our, how did this happen? Hold on a second, hold on a second. These are our people. This is our our tribes. This is the people of of God. And 36 of them died when Jericho was literally just handed to us? Hold on. Joshua starts saying, what's going on here? And all Israel comes together to mourn, to cry. Joshua falls on his face and says, he cried all day long. That's what the Bible says. Mourning, weeping, questioning God, what happened? Where are you right now? Why why are 36 of my comrades dead over Ai, the small rink-a-dink town that can't do anything? And yet they sent my army packing, your army, the armies of the living God, were sent away from this tiny little thing when we just destroyed Jericho? Let's pick it up right there. So the Lord said to Joshua in chapter 7, verses 10 through 12, rise up. Why is it that you have fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. And they have taken some of the things under the ban and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put them among their own things. Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have become accursed. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. There's two statements here that as I was preparing that stuck out. God says a whole lot in in those three verses. But there's two specific phrases or sentences that stuck out to me that really caused a a holy fear to to come up in me this this past week, as as I said, as I was preparing for this. One of the things that God says, is, says, I will not be with you anymore. I don't know if there's a more terrible thing that God could ever say to someone. I will not be with you. Moses is the one who said, God, if your presence is not with us, then how are we any different from anybody else on the face of the earth? To be a Christian is to be someone who is in his presence. That's the benefit that we have. Yes, heaven is going to be great, but there's no trial there. There's no errors there. There's no hard times there. The hard times are here. If there's a time when I need his presence to get through it, it's now. And for God to say, hey, I will not be with you anymore. I'm sorry, but as a Christian, that is the most terrifying thing I could imagine God saying. He's not with me. God's presence is not with me. Let me tell you right now. God isn't with them anymore because blatant disobedience brings about the absence of God on your life. God is everywhere, yes. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere right now at this very moment. I'm talking about his manifest presence though. The presence that we experienced uh, during worship a few minutes ago when it was like, man, his glory shows up and you don't want to say anything, but you, you, you want to say everything. You're like, oh my gosh, like God, you're here. And it's navigating that is so fragile. That's what I'm talking about. That I'm talking about his presence. That's the presence that I'm talking about. And when we, dads, let me talk to you for a minute. When we decide to be blatantly disobedient to God, he will withdraw his presence from your home. That's terrifying. That I am instructed by the New Testament to be the spiritual leader from my home. As dad, as husband, I am the one who's supposed to set the spiritual temperature, you could say, the, the spiritual gauge of my home. And when dad is being disobedient, God will remain absent. See, those 36 men that day, in that battle were innocent men. I don't know what the greater miracle is that only Achan stole or that 99.99999% of the men didn't. But Achan, the one person who did, is, remained alive. Alived? Remain alive. Remains alive. I love English, right? Jeez, I'm terrible. Right? Achan is the one who's guilty, yet 36 innocent men who stole nothing have to die. And they have to go get a, a, a messenger sent to those homes saying, hey, sorry, your husband, your dad, your brother is dead. He died in battle. Against AI? The small little town that we were supposed to wipe out and not even send the entire army to? The small little thing of just the, oh yeah, cool, whatever, go handle it real quick. The small task? And you're telling me that my husband, who has remained faithful to God... My husband who who has been obedient to God and though he was tempted in Jericho to take something, he said, no, I'm taking this to the treasury and dropped it off there and remained faithful and obedient to God. You're telling me that my innocent husband is dead? Yet Achan, the one who sinned, remains alive. I think it's because God wanted him to feel the weight of what he did. That no, 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 your actions caused a whole lot of problems. The other thing that I find crazy that God says here. He says this, moreover, they have also put them, the stolen things, among their own things. They have mingled it and mixed it together. See, what Achan did is take take possession of something, and and he brought it into his home. He brought it to his tent, and what he actually did is he put it under his tent, and he hid it there. Let me tell you something right now. Stealing is one thing. What God is addressing is that Achan invited these stolen items into his home— Under his own roof, claiming as if he earned it and took it for himself, but it belonged to God. It was God's possessions that he stole, not some dead guy at Jericho. They belonged to God. God is saying, you've taken something that's holy, something that's set apart for me, and you're claiming it as something common to you. Friends, let me tell you right now, may we never be the people who treat what is holy to God as common and just normal The moment we treat God as common or normal or his presence as common or normal, we no longer fear him and we no longer experience his presence. We've got to be people who fear God, who set him apart. I do not want to be someone who claims God's holiness as my own doing. That's what Achan did. He claimed that God's holiness on Israel's life, on Israel's country is because of his actions. That's what he did by taking those things as his own possession. And God said, no, I will not have it. And so let's, let's continue on here. And let's see the, the direction that God gave to Joshua. Jo- um, <clears throat> uh, Joshua chapter seven, verse 19 to 23 says, Joshua said to Achan, my son, I implore you, give glory to God, the God of Israel and praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Don't hide it from me. So Achan answered, truly, I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw in the spoil a beautiful robe from Shinar, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of 50 shekels in weight, that I coveted them and took them. And now they are concealed in the earth, inside my tent with the silver underneath it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and behold, it was concealed in his tent with the silver underneath it. They took from them, from inside the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the sons of Israel and they poured them out before the Lord. You see, what happened here is, is through a series of casting lots, they had to find out who's the one who stole it. And so they start casting lots to figure out where it is. And so they laid out the 12 tribes of Israel and the lots fell on Judah. Meaning, hey, all of the 11 other tribes are good. It's someone in the, in the tribe of Judah. And so they start bringing man by man, casting lots. Nope, 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 nope. Oh, here we go. It's Achan's grandpa. He said, okay, hold on. They start going through Achan's... Uh, um, uh, uncles And Achan's dad. And they're casting lots. And it lands on Carmi, Achan's dad. And they said, okay. And they start going through Carmi's sons. Waiting to figure out who's going to land on. It lands on Achan. All that whole time, Achan had every opportunity to come forward. I'm telling you right now. The moment every tribe was eliminated and it landed on Judah. I'd be screaming and running to the front. It was me! Right? No, not Achan. He was hoping... For just a second, hey, you know what, maybe I won't get caught. I think even so, I didn't say this first service, but I think even so, he, I find it ironic that he put the silver underneath the gold. You know why? I find that weird. Because I think Achan, in his mind, was thinking, if someone does come digging in my tent for some crazy reason, once they see the gold, they'll stop. Mm-hmm. Because what's more precious than gold? Yeah. It's the most expensive thing. They're going to stop right there. They're not going to know about the 200 shekels of silver that's are still under there. I think Achan was still thinking in his mind, I can still get away with this. They might dig enough. They might dig a little bit. Once they see the gold, why would you put anything under the gold? You stop. That's the most precious thing you could have taken. So, hey, the most precious thing is on the bottom. But Achan put the 200 shekels of silver. I, still, I think he was thinking in the back of his mind, they might find the gold, but they won't find the silver. So I'll still get out of this with something. I'll still get away with this a little bit, even if I am found out, it'll be all right. I think Achan had that thought in the back of his mind, thinking, I, I can get away with this. But yet the lots fell on him. And, and Joshua said, this is, man, here's your opportunity. I think Joshua did what Jesus would do is he extends mercy. He says, would you give praise to God? Would you be obedient in this moment now? I, I think what Joshua was doing was acting like Jesus without even knowing it. Saying, hey, look, your worship is rendered as obedience. I I love worship. I love playing with the awesome musicians that we have up here. I love you know play guitar with my beautiful wife. I think it's great. I, I love it. It's so much fun. But this is just an aspect of worship. Worship is a lifestyle. And when we walk in obedience, it's given and rendered to God as worship. So just as much as you might be in here today saying, you know, what a powerful name it is and getting your groove on, going out and living a life of obedience is the same exact thing. It's rendered to God the same way. It is worship. You are honoring him with your life or you're honoring him with your voice through singing. Either way, you're honoring him. And Joshua extends this opportunity to Achan. He says, would you walk in obedience now? You've been disobedient. God's presence is void. So let's put God back at the center of this thing and let's be obedient to him now. I think that's what Joshua, Joshua was trying to do, is set it up and say, God, we need your presence back in this place. And he immediately says, hey, I'm not going to hide anything. It's under my tent. I put it there. I buried it. The silver's underneath it. And jo- so Joshua sends the messengers, and they come back, and they've got it. It's all right there. And I started thinking about this tent. And uh, I love the way my friend Josh uh, Jameson put it. He started talking about this tent. And it's, well, I, we have the, our tents. We all have our homes. So imagine this with me now. Imagine your home. You're, you're thinking about your house, the lawn, the driveway, your car, the sweet Bronco that's parked out front with the top off right now because it's summer. Beautiful sight, isn't it? Right? Like, it's just amazing, right? But imagine now the, the outside of your tent, the outside of your home. This is the public life that everyone can see. You, you can deceive. You can pretend that, you know, because the outside is clean that the inside is clean. Right? You ever seen a house like that? Like, wow, that lawn is immaculate. And you go inside the house and you're like, oh my gosh, it's a zoo. Right? Like, yeah been there crazy, but it's like, Oh my gosh, crazy. Right. But it's, it's, it's the public life. It can be perceived. It can be real or it can be false. It it can be anything you want. Anybody can see it. I can get on Google earth right now and look up anybody's house. Okay. We did it. I was on a mission trip, Um, and a guy showed me his home in Syria. I was like, Whoa, that's your house. It was like a hut. I was like, Oh my goodness, it's crazy. It was right there on Google earth. It was crazy. He showed me his house and I showed him my house and said, let me show you where I live. Because where I was living in San Diego at the time, I was like, I live in that apartment complex right there, bro. He's like, Well, oh, that's so far away. And I'm like, your house is so far away. It was crazy. But anybody can see anybody's house. You can, you can drive through your neighborhood right now and see a whole bunch of houses. And it's what they allow you to see. It's how clean they want it to be. And you can form your own ideas of who that person or that family may be. But either way, it's public. You can't hide it. Everyone's gonna see your house one way or the other. They're gonna see it. And then you have the inside of your tent the inside of your house. This is more private. This is your personal life. This is uh, for the few people that you trust, friends, family, a couple close friends that, that you really trust or people you're trying to get to know. But I would never invite all 7 billion people on the planet into my house. One, they won't fit. And two, it would just be nonstop. Like it'd just it'd be nonstop people just boom, boom, boom. And Scott probably wouldn't like it too much, right? It'd be a whole lot of foot traffic. Scott's my landlord if you don't know, Okay. But it would just not be a cool thing. I'm not going to invite all 7 billion people in there. It's just not going to happen. I'm going to invite the people that I trust, my friends, my family. Like it's, it's a select few, and you're the same way. You're not going to just invite anybody into your home. This is your private life. And then I think there's another area of our, of our tent. Akin found it. I think you know about it, but you don't want to address it. It's the area that's under your tent. It's the stuff that's hidden from everybody. Your spouse doesn't even know about it. The thing that's on your device that nobody knows about. The thing you allow on TV when no one's awake. The things you hide. Like I said, your spouse doesn't even know about these things. It's not, it's not, some of these things don't, don't immediately go to sin. I know I kind of defaulted to that, but just because you have something under your tent, something hidden, doesn't make it bad, right? It doesn't make it a sin. Everyone has secrets. Everyone has things that... Hey, this is just for me to know and no one else. This is my personal life. But what's what's bad is that it's when it's private and that it's sin. That's when it starts to do other things to your tent, like an uncomfortable camping trip. When you can't escape it. You can't get away from it. You're stuck with it. It's your private life. And what I've learned is that when we try to conceal that sin, it's really going to put a damper on your life it's going to slow you down a lot. And Achan is brought before everyone. The guilt of the battle is on his shoulder. The 36 innocent men are on his shoulder. And the money is just sitting under his tent. Would you, would you stop and think about that for just one second? The robe and the money is under his tent. He stole it and he can't even enjoy it. What's he going to do? Walk around with his new fancy robe on? No. You've been in the desert for 40 years. Everyone's going to know. Where'd you get the robe, dude? Everyone's going to know. What's he going to do? Take the 200 shekels of silver and the bar of gold and go buy a new camel with hubcaps on it? Like, what's he going to do? A new wagon? Right? Spinner, the spinner hubcaps, right? But What's, what's he going to do? Everyone's going to know. Aiken, you didn't have any money before. How'd you get this? So he took possession of something to hide it. I think we do the same thing. Yeah, I, I think we engage in activities that we know we shouldn't do and we can't even enjoy it. We Instead, we have to hide it under our tent. Yeah. I can't tell anybody about this. Yeah. And what I've learned is that whatever under my tent, I'm a slave to it. Yeah. I am held captive by secrecy. Yeah. I can't announce it. I can't enjoy it. Instead, I am in the constant fear of being found out. Yeah. What a way to live, man. No, oh, that's bondage. I'm sorry, but my God did not die on a cross so that I could continue to live in bondage. Instead, he died on a cross so that I could take my bondage, break the chains off my life, and live with freedom. He didn't want bondage for me. If he wanted bondage for me, he would have stayed in heaven and enjoyed his life there. Instead, he said, no, I will go to earth, and I will suffer. You messed up. I'll punish myself. I'll take the weight of this so that I could go on and continue to hide things under my tent. No, no. I do not want to be held as a slave to my secrets anymore. I want to live in the freedom that he has purchased for me. So Aiken can't enjoy his his treasure. Stole it, can't do anything with it. Even still, before the battle, even after AI, he's probably got to wait a little bit to start pulling these things out to start using them. So he's got some time. So what's under your tent this morning? What do you have hidden under there that you can't enjoy because you're stuck to the slavery of a secret? You're trapped to it. I've been there. I know what it's like to have the fear of constantly being found out. Man, no one can see this. No one can know about this. I've got to keep this secret. But we get tempted by it because man, it looks so good and so appealing. And I just want to enjoy it. You won't enjoy it. The price tag is far too high. You're slave to what's under your tent. And no matter what you try to do, if your foundation is flawed, your life will be flawed. You cannot build a house on an uneven foundation. Otherwise, you'll just continue to roll every night as you try to sleep. You'll never get the rest that you want. See, Achan didn't have the freedom to enjoy his treasure, just made him a slave to it. It's not living, it's bondage. I love what 2 Peter Chapter 2, 19 says, it says this. This is that they are promising freedom while they themselves are slaves to sin and corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. Has something overcome you lately? Maybe something that's been on your life a whole long time and you, you just, man, you're enslaved to it. It's almost like NASCAR. You just keep going around the same thing over and over and over again. I've been there. I know exactly what that's like to feel trapped in it to feel hidden in it and I just keep on circling around and around and around. I want to know, do we fully grasp the gravity of the effects that it has on our lives? I don't think we do. Otherwise, we wouldn't have it under our tent anymore. See, if, if we would have stayed camping a little longer, I would have moved the tent somewhere else. I said, babe, you're right. You're still right. But we're going to move the tent over here. And this is going to be just as right because I'm going to make it feel like it's your idea. Okay? Okay. <clears throat> Good suggestion. My friend Baltimore said it this way in Bible college. "He said, you need to embarrass sin before it embarrasses you. I said, man, that is a good way to live life. I want to bring the light of Jesus into my dark places so that I am not held to the secrecy of it, trying to hide it from everyone that I meet, trying to hide it from my wife, trying to hide it from my kids. No, I want to live in freedom. I want to walk and live in the light because where there is light, there cannot be darkness. It's never a Christian thing to be soft on sin. And I'm not talking about people in the world who don't believe in Jesus. The last thing I will ever do to someone who does not believe in Jesus is correct them. I will not walk up to a person who is, you could say it this way, a sinner and tell them, you're in sin, you're going to hell. No, I'm just, just, sorry, that's not me. I'm not doing that. However, when it comes to the house of God, as a pastor, I'm instructed to confront Christians living in sin. So are you. We're instructed to do that. But I will never walk up to someone who doesn't believe and say, you're a sinner, you're going to hell. No, I'm going to walk up to them and say, man, you're awesome, how are you doing, and build a relationship with them. Just like Jesus did. Hang out with them, get to know them, build a relationship, and through a relationship, lead them to him. That's the way to do effective evangelism. Joshua chapter 7 is beginning to wrap this up here. Then Joshua, with all Israel with him, took Achan the silver, the robe, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him. I look up the word all in the dictionary. It means all. And they brought them to the valley of Akor. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned them and burned them with fire after they had stoned them. A word there. Plural Them. Hold on a second. Achan's not the only one who paid for his price tag. They they, they stoned his sons, and his daughters too. Oh, is he God merciful and like God's like cool like Amen. You know, the dad sets the spiritual tone of the house. I don't know if the kids knew about it. I don't know if the kids helped their dad bury it. I, I don't know. But the fact is that Achan, the dad, brought it into the home. How many times have my kids suffered because of what I brought into the home? Me, Stephen Nix What have my kids suffered through Because I decided to bring something in the home I guarantee you it's probably more than I know And I'm going to ask you the same question What have your kids suffered with Because you dad brought it into the home It's hidden They don't even know about it I don't know but they didn't say That the sons and daughters knew about it I have no idea if they did or not But they paid the price too They paid the same price Aiken did Because why? Dad brought it in the home dad allowed it through the front door. Dad hid it in the foundation. Dad's the one who put it there, and yet the family's the one who has to pay for it. You see, as the dad, it's your responsibility to protect what comes into your home. A few years ago, we were living in Antioch, California. Uh, I was one of the staff pastors there, and our house got broken into three times in two weeks. And it got to the point where I was just like, I'm done. Like, we were in downtown Antioch. We were like on the skirts of the city like It was just like bad. And I was just like, I can't do this anymore. And so I had a revolver and I had a baseball bat. And uh, one night we're getting ready to go to bed and I had just came to bed. I turned the lights off and I go walk into the room and I sit down on the bed. I was like, okay, finally. And I go to lay down. Literally as my head hit the pillow, the alarm went off. And I was like, I knew right away because we only had a couple of sensors um, that the, the back door was like locked, I had like 13 locks, right, on the thing like no one's getting into the back door. So I knew it was the window. And so I jump up, I grab the gun, I grab the bat, and I go running after this dude. I am chasing I'm gonna tell the story another time because it's got some really good illustrations in it and I don't want to use them all today. Okay, some <clears throat> smart, okay? So anyway, so I I go and I I chase this dude. I open the front door. I watch him run around the side of the the house. I go running after him. I'm like, dude, you are not coming in my house because it's my job to protect my kids. Because the moment I say, yes, you can come in, I have just consented to whatever it is that he wants. You want to kill us? Well, you're in the house. I just gave him complete access. No, it's my job as dad to put myself on the line. I've always said this, that if anybody in my house is going to take it on the chin, it's going to be me. If someone's going to suffer, it's going to be me. If there's only a little bit of food, I'm not eating. And We've been there. I know exactly what that's like. It's like, hey, Tatum, there you go. That burger looks good, right? Like, I've been there. I'm not going to sit here today and say that my life is peachy keen and it's been fun. No, there's been days that daddy has gone without dinner to make sure the kids had dinner. I'm not just saying that to brag on myself. I'm saying that because I want to protect my kids. It's my job as dad. It's your job as dad. So, dads, yes, I'm speaking to you, but moms too. I'm talking to all of us today. Dads, it's your job to protect what you allow in your home. I would not allow that thief in my home. I chased him. It's probably the same dude who broke in the other two times. Probably the same guy. Coming back, double dipping. I don't know. He carved stuff around my table like it ruined. We had a brand new table, ruined our table. We weren't there. And there's so many things that, that he took. And he stole, he was probably coming back again. I have no idea, but it never happened again. We moved shortly after. I told our landlord, I said, your house is crazy. You're in the ghetto. We out, okay? Like, I'm moving two miles that way. I am not gonna live in downtown no more. And we got out of there it was super fast. I was like, I'm done. Three times in two weeks is a little too much. But I would not allow that intruder in my house again. What intruder are you allowing in your life? And we think it's okay because nobody sees it. You see, I think it's really easy to protect your home from a thief. It gets really hard to protect your home from sin because nobody sees it. And we don't see the effect of it. A, th- a thief comes in and takes something. You see the effect of it. The missing TV on the mantle. Oh, where'd that go? It got stolen. It's gone, right? But a hidden sin, nobody knows about that. N- nobody's nobody's going to know. I'm telling you right now, the kids know. You, you think your spouse doesn't know, but I'm telling you, your spouse feels the effect of it. They know. They know, just like you feel the effect of it. But yet we continue to hide it. We continue to conceal it because we think nobody knows. No, Aiken had no idea the price that he was about to pay and his kids were about to pay for his actions. Sure, the robe was pretty, you know, spiffy robe, Armani microfiber stitch, bro. That was nice, Right? (laughs) I'm sure the 200 shekels of silver and the gold bar would have bought him something really great and made his life a little easier for him and his kids. I, I don't know. I don't know what his condition was like. But I know that it wasn't worth it. Right, that's right. I, I know that Achan immediately regretted it. He's got this mound under his tent. He's stuck to this secret. He's a slave to his secret. So my, my question this morning, yes, dads, I'm talking to you because it's Father's Day and that's what you're supposed to do. I'm speaking to all of us Has your focus been on more Or the protection of your family The role of dad is protector. Amen. Protect the family I allow what comes in this home I set the spiritual tone In this home Speaking to all of us this morning What's under your tent And are you ready to pay the price For what it demands Because you're going to be stuck In slavery to it You've probably felt the fear Of being found out I know I have I'm, I'm not up here today just reading a text out of the Bible and, and preaching because, you know, it's what you're supposed to do. I'm, I'm preaching from my heart saying I know exactly what it's like to have something hidden under your tent. I know exactly what it's like to be a slave to it. I know exactly what it's like to miss out on the presence of God because of my disobedience. I know exactly what I'm talking about this morning. I want to know if we're comfortable with an uneven foundation or if we need to get to work. And move our tent. See, just as I had to physically arrange the living arrangements for while we were camping, I think most of us, if not all of us, really need to dig up what we've put under our tent that's causing the unrest in our lives, that's causing the fear to rise up in our lives and keep us there. And look, again, I'm gonna address this. You might be thinking, you know, Stevie, nobody knows about this, bro. I'm telling you, nobody knows. Sin is like debt. Okay? Are mom and dad affected? Or are the kids affected too? Uh, You know how many conversations I've had to have with Little Tatum and Little Riker? Saying, hey, uh, I don't think you guys can do Little League this year. Mommy and Daddy made some bad decisions with money. We don't have the money to to pay for it, guys. Because we're stuck in debt. You can ask Kristen about it. And thank God we are in a a place now where we are completely 100% debt-free. And man, it feels so good. It's amazing. God has been faithful. God has been so, so faithful to us. But... My kids were affected because of the poor decisions I made with money. And yet we think, oh, our kids won't be affected by the poor decisions we make when obedience or disobedience to God. No, they will be affected. They will feel the weight of your decisions. Let me tell you right now, hidden sin is always lurking in your home for death. The moment we hide that sin, it is going through the hallways. It is going in the living room. It is going in the bedrooms and it is looking for death. And it will not be satisfied until it gets it. Just like with Achan and his kids. So as I couldn't get a good night's sleep camping because of what was under my tent, I I wanna know, have you really experienced the rest that God has for you? Have you experienced what it's like to walk in freedom? Dad, have you experienced what it's like to say, I'm not stuck as a slave to this sin anymore. Of what I've been hiding in my tent, hiding in my heart, I'm not a slave to it. Dad, do you know what that feels like? Do you know the freedom that I'm talking about? Because if you don't, you need to get to work on your home. Otherwise, your kids will pay a price. Right. So I'm not, like I said, dad, you are so appreciated. You are so loved, dads. We, the home would not be the home without dad. But at the same time, dads, we have a mandate on our life. As a leader of your home, you're called to a higher standard. What's under your tent today? See, it's not that something's under your tent. It's that you're allowing it to be there. It's that you've allowed it to say, yes, I'm going to keep it hidden. No, I'm going to bring the light of Jesus to this thing, and I'm going to expose it for what it is, and I'm not going to allow it to kill my kids or kill me or hold me back in life. I want freedom. Again, Jesus came to bring you that freedom. As we're looking at this series called Faithful, I don't think there's a better thing you can do than to bring the light of Jesus Christ to the dark area of your life. That's faithful. Saying, God, i here I am exposed. Everything of me not hidden. God, you know what's under my tent. You know what's there and it's time that we get it out. If we could do this real quick, every head bowed and every eye closed across this room. No one's looking around except for me. It's just so I know what to do next. If you're in this room and you say, you know what? Yeah, Stevie, I'm gonna be honest. This is step one, number one to freedom right here. You got something under your tent. Dad, mom, not a parent, I don't care. Whatever, you got something under your tent this morning. And I'm not gonna come up to you when I see you raise your hand and ask you what it is. I'm not doing that. I will pray for you though. If you're in this room today and you say, you know what, you're watching online. You say, I've got something under my tent. If that's you, could you just do me a favor and raise your hand, please? Thank you, thank you. Anybody else, thank you. That's awesome. Again, it's not that something's under your tent. It's just time to deal with it. Thank you for that hand over there, I see it. I'm gonna do i am I'm gonna pray a prayer over those who raise their hands. And again, I'm not gonna ask you what it was, but the second question I want to ask is if you're in this room today and you've never given your life to Jesus or you want to recommit your heart to him this morning and say, you know what, I've been I've been walking away from him. And this Father's Day I'm gonna give my Father in heaven the best gift I can and give him my life. If that's you, would you do me a favor and raise your hand, please? Awesome. Thank you for that hand. Thank you. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna I'm gonna say a prayer over everyone who raised their hands and just all of us in general, and then uh, for the one person who rose their hand for Salvation Day, I'm gonna ask that we would all repeat a prayer after me. And I'll get to that in just a minute. But let me pray for you first. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I saw hands go up around this room saying, yes, I've got something under my tent this morning I need to deal with. And Lord, what I'm gonna ask is that your anointing, that your grace would empower us as a, as a people to be honest, to be real with you about our situation, about what we've put in, under our tent. And God, I pray that we would give it to you that we would lay it out before you. Because God, as as Achan had to experience stoning and death, what we get to experience under Jesus is life and peace. And so as we expose these these things that we've hidden under our tent, God, I pray that your presence would be with us. As, as, As we get real and honest with you about our sin, I pray that your grace and your anointing would be upon us. In Jesus' name I pray. Here's what I want to do, church family. If we could all repeat this prayer after me for those who rose their hands, say, Father in heaven, I I repent. I turn from my ways and I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I'm going to walk with you all the days of my life by the power of your Holy Spirit. Jesus, you are Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, can we give a round of applause to that person and those people? Awesome stuff. Hey, seriously, love you guys. And and like I said, I I know today's sermon was a heavy hitter. I'm in your face with it. And I don't mean to be, but I do mean to be because it's the truth of God's word. And so, though it might sound bold, dads know this, that you are loved. You are so awesome. Dad, you're the strongest dad in the world, okay? And no one's dad is like you, so please be you. Be in your home. Be present in your home. Flex your biceps in front of your kids so they know you're stronger than them, okay? And don't let them win in wrestling, okay? Just don't do it. No, until they pin you, then you suck, dad. I'm just kidding. But, no, dad, seriously, we love you so much. We pray that you guys have a great and blessed day. Go barbecue or whatever it is that you're doing. We love you guys. We'll see you on Wednesday at seven o'clock. God bless you so much. Peace out.